One of the phrases I use all the time is permission plus pathway equals action. Why do people not take action? Is one of those two reasons. They don't have permission, meaning they have convinced themselves either they're not qualified or they don't have the right or they're not skilled enough or whatever, or they don't know how. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today, I'm joined by photographer and business coach, Chad de Blasio. Chad is a wedding and portrait photographer based in Central Ohio, and he enjoys helping other entrepreneurs grow their businesses. I went into the conversation intending to chat with Chad about where he sees business owners get stuck and tips for getting unstuck but our conversation took a bit of a turn. As he shared his story about getting started, he mentioned a few things that I thought were really interesting. So we explored those topics a bit. We chat about things like sales and how being a good salesperson can actually improve a client's experience. And we cover things like how you probably need a lot less than you think in order to get started. Even though it's not the conversation we set out to have, I think it's an interesting one. A big thanks to Chad for letting me take it in a different direction. Be sure to check out the show notes at davianchrista.com for the resources we mentioned during the episode. And I want to hear from you. Let me know what kind of content you'd like to see on the Brands That Book podcast as we move forward. To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davy and Krista Facebook page and send us a message. You can also send us a DM on Instagram at Davy and Krista. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Brands That Book podcast. I've got with me Chad de Blasio, photographer and business coach and just all around awesome dude. I'm glad you threw that so in there. So welcome. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> so Chad, I, I can't even remember when we met, but I think it was through United yeah. maybe a couple of years ago now. Yeah, we both. I think we've both been around that community for, I know I've been in show it or involved with them since like 2010. So it's, it was probably at that event. And then, you know, our, our lives crossed paths in a bunch of different arenas simply because of that one. I, when I met you, I, I met you as photographer, Chad de Blasio. But since then, I've been following along with some of your coaching stuff. I like uh, paying attention uh, in particular to you showing up on Facebook. You'll show up there. You'll ask some uh, tough, challenging questions that I think at the very least are always thought provoking. And so that's something that I really appreciate. And so we got chatting at Show United this past year. And I got you to agree to come on the podcast to talk a little bit about today 
today, really just the value of coaching, where you see people getting stuck, and then really how we, how people can get unstuck. This episode will probably go live early in 2020, so I think it's the perfect time for people to reflect on some of those things, especially as they do some planning for 2020. But we always start each episode with a little bit of background on our guest. So tell us where you got started. Was it with the photography business or was it elsewhere? But how did you become an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I think growing up, I was kind of envired, uh, environmentally curated, as <laughs> I say it. My dad sold cars, my mom cleaned houses, and like you know, did alterations and made wedding dresses and made bridesmaids dresses. And so both of my parents, and then eventually my stepdad, uh, they all work for themselves. And so I remember, even as a young kid, I wasn't super involved with my dad's life, but I remember very clearly like being with him in times where he would be on the phone talking to people, or I would say, you know, like he's going to work. And like what work was, was he was going to try to make money from things that he did. So it wasn't like a lot of people have, you know, families and they grow up in an environment where like, you know, mom or dad or both like go and clock in somewhere. Even if they are kind of leaders at that position, it is a job that's like they're going to. A lot of my childhood and people that my parents knew and associated with were people who did things for themselves. And so that was I think I was kind of bred into it. Yeah, that's awesome. So I feel like I credit most of my entrepreneurial journey to Krista because she was the one that started a photography business way back when. And that was kind of my first, you know, first time to, to dip my toe in the, the entrepreneurial waters. Yeah. But I do feel like growing up, I had jobs from a relatively young age, you know, so yeah. tried to make as much money on my own as possible um, when I was younger. And I feel like that really did contribute a little bit to you know, just I, I running a business, even though uh, I certainly learned more about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship just by doing yeah. it. So how did that lead to like, where'd you get started with photography? I actually took photography first as a 4-H project. And if you're from the Midwest at all, you 4-H is kind of the something you do in the summer times or in the, in the fall for like fairs is like it's 4-H is all about like crafts and lifestyle stuff. So they one of the projects that I could take was photography. I took like model rocketry. I, I took sewing. And like each project has kind of a booklet that you work through. And then you do something like let's say you do baking is kind of like a merit badge almost. You know what I mean? You do the project and then you take that to the fair. And the fair was where you like showed that and it got judged and you got kind of critiqued or told how you could improve or talk to them about what your experience was. And so that was really, I think my first, I always thought cameras were cool and I was always into like art, but that was just another thing that was like, oh, this is really neat to me. And it kind of had a science aspect to it, which I'm kind of geeky like that. So film was this mysterious kind of, oh, when you do this and it's kind of a scientific process and you get kind of repeatable results. And, but then there was like this creative side. And so that was kind of my first, I would say my first uh, exposure to it. Sure. <laughs> but right. As I got into college. And I'm, when was that like middle school, high school? Uh, yeah, I, I was probably, so my parents got married. My mom married my stepdad when I was 11. So like between 11 and 13. Okay. I was doing that. We were, we took animals to the fair. We, but that was like, we were in 4-H. That was something we did every year was we were part of a 4-H group. And so every year you picked a couple projects and I picked four, I picked photography and it just kind of, it was interesting, but I don't think it was at that point, like I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. It was just like, this is really cool. Sure. And then when I started college, it was like, I love taking photos of things. And I started, and I'm not going to lie, like uh, girls were interested in artists. And so I did artist stuff. Like I played guitar and I took photos and I was like, oh, girls like 
like hanging out with me. And this, this one girl, <laughs> Candace is like really into photography. So she had a camera and I had a camera and we'd like, we'd go out and take pictures together. And it's like, you know, so that probably was like a, a little bit of an incentive for me to be like, Hey, this might be something you enjoy. So I started maybe not, for, maybe sure. for not totally like <laughs> pure intent or pure motives, but it was <laughs> through the process of just kind of, I think I didn't understand then I was really just like practicing things. I was practicing ways to kind of use the camera to enjoy the life around me. And then I found myself like printing all the time and like mm -hmm. had photos all over my room and my college dorm and in my house. And then it would, then it kind of led towards more like art stuff. So was that college? Did something, something happened in college while, you know, that brought you to, Hey, I can make a living doing this. No, you want to know. So my growing up around entrepreneurs was like poor entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> like working for yourself meant you had a lot of like luxuries, but I really didn't know a lot of like successful entrepreneurs. And I think growing up artists were definitely in that category for me of like poor artists, you know? Yeah. You know, on this side of life, realizing that a lot of that was the mindsets that they had about what that value was in the world. But I didn't realize being cultured in that environment, I always thought people who did art were poor. And so I went to school to make money. And my first college, like that's the reason I went to college was to get a good job. I didn't want to be poor. So I went to school for programming. I went to actually DeVry University. And I went two years into a three-year program for computer information systems to program computers. Uh, I was learning Java and C++ and like a bunch of nerdy crap that I ended up really <laughs> hating where I was at. And so thankfully, before I like finished through that, I was at a point like emotionally, I wasn't wanting to continue. And so I dropped out and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. But yeah, that was, I did not head down the path of like, I'm going to do this for a living at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so many people though, I feel like have, uh, you know, the specifics are, are different, of course, but sort of a, a similar story in that. I mean, what I, I studied uh, theology as an undergrad, I have a master's degree in multicultural education, you know? So yeah. um, obviously I think things that I use on different levels, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, exactly. And now I run a, an ads agency. So it is always interesting, the path that gets you to where you are. Yeah. So at what point did it become a, you know, like, did you accept payment for the first time for photography? Well, so I don't think I ever had a problem like charging for things, but definitely was not like charge. I was like, yeah, you can give me like a gift card for pizza or something, you know? So <laughs> I would say that's not a I'm bad just, way to be paid in it's my opinion. not a bad way to be paid, especially when you're a hungry college kid. So I did some like band promotional work. I was in the Midwest and like there's a big scene for like heavy, heavier music throughout the Midwest is I actually worked with a venue. So we had, I mean, we had some national touring acts come through that like, if you're in that scene at all, like blindside and under oath and oh, who was the, oh, the chariot played there. Like they were big name bands from like the early two thousands that played at our venue. And so we also, because of that, there were tons and tons of like people who were trying to make it and festivals and stuff. So I did a lot of band work, photography for bands, promo stuff. So it was like super creative, super artsy, really fun. And they'd pay me like 50 or hundred bucks, you know, or they would get me like tickets to their shows or they get me into festivals for free and I'd take some photos for them, you know? So there was always like early on, even just like some bartering and paying. I was doing photos. Actually, one of the first things I can remember, like you could maybe make money doing this. People from my church, they were just like, Hey, would you take our family pictures? Normally we pay, you know, 50 or a hundred dollars. And I was like, a hundred dollars. Hell yeah. And then I got paid for a wedding in 2005 and I think I made two fifty or $300 and 
they paid for my hotel room. So I drove from Kentucky all the way back to Missouri to shoot a wedding for less than $500. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and even that, I remember thinking like, they're going to pay me $250. And cover your hotel room. And pay for my hotel. This is like the best win of all. Yeah. Yeah. And so probably half of that $250 went to gas just getting oh, there easily. and back. Yeah. I probably made negative $500 <laughs> once I edited the photos. So at what point though, did you realize... Okay, this is awesome because, you know, pizza gift cards are awesome. Mm -hmm. Free tickets to music festivals are awesome. $100 here and there is awesome. Yeah. But at one at what point and how did you turn the corner when it came to actually running a profitable business that was more sustainable? Yeah. Um, and of course, now you have a family. Yep. So how did you get there? Well, so what really started it was I did sales for a long time. I've done sales in probably every job I've had in some regard. And I didn't realize like that was something I was naturally gifted at. But my dad did sales. And like, even though I didn't have like a really close relationship with him, just kind of that mindset, right, is that understanding that like you can sell things to people or you could persuade them to buy something. It's kind of a, in my opinion, it's something I've always really loved is like, I'm going to give you my opinion of why this is awesome and see what you think, right? Yeah. After college, actually, I started dating my wife. I was delivering pizzas and like I, same kind of thing. I was bartending and delivering pizzas and I was making pretty good money, but not really any like career path. Well, I was dating a girl that had two kids and like a house and she was like a little bit more important to me than just like making bills, you know, making it every month. And so we actually bought a rainbow sweeper which is like a water-based vacuum cleaner if you're not familiar with them, but like they're like $2,500 or something like that. And they were like, well, so here's the thing. If you'll come and show this to 10 people, if you'll put on 10 presentations, we'll actually pay for yours. And I was like, okay, how long does that take? They're like, well, you can do it nights and weekends and it usually takes people about two months because they'll do a little bit of training. And so I was like, okay, cool. I had no idea what that meant. So fast forward a year and a half and I'm working like semi full time for them. I have zero job other than that. And I'm making, you know, $25, a month showing and selling cleaning systems. So it's like I was doing a job that almost everybody said you don't make any money doing. And I was setting up my own appointments. I was doing financial paperwork. I was doing presentations. Literally all I was doing from the distributor was doing some like sometime like on the job training. And I was actually now training people, but I was doing some training with them and I would pick up products from them. So basically like they would give me the vacuum. I didn't have to buy it up front, but they would give it to me and I would go sell it. So when I did photos for people, these, my, our old music minister, she was like, why aren't you doing this for a living? And I was like, I don't like artists don't make any money. You know, I was still like in that nobody makes any money doing this. Like nobody gets paid to do this. Like for real, it's like 50 bucks at a time. I can't pay my bills. And she was like, well, you're like really exceptionally good at it. And she's like, and we've had a lot of people do pictures for us. And so I, I just told my wife, like, we just sat down and talked about it. And I was like, why I am running my own business. You know what I mean? I was responsible for everything. They didn't give me leads. They didn't, if I didn't sell, I didn't make any money. And I had consistently been making money for over yeah. a year. And it was like, this isn't a fluke. This isn't like a, you know, one time thing. Like, so we just started breaking it down and like, what is this? Like, why am I not doing this for myself? Well, at that point they were trying to open a store with me being like the distributor. So I was kind of getting recruited and cultured into opening a business with them. And I was like, look, if I'm going to open a business and, and it's possible to make, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year selling vacuum cleaners that nobody cares about, why don't I actually do something I really want to do? And so it's, <laughs> it doesn't seem real now how all this happened, but like, it was kind of crazy. I didn't have a camera at that point, like a digital camera. 
and I didn't have a job. I had business cards. I made business cards. Yeah. So, and at some point did you ask, did you tell yourself like, okay, I'm selling really expensive vacuums to people. I can definitely sell heirlooms that people are going to uh, appreciate for the rest of their lives. I think a lot of that has come later. And I was just talking, actually was talking to Andrew Funderberg the other day about this, like the ignorance, the blissful ignorance of like entrepreneurial hope is I didn't know how hard it was going to be, which is part of the reason I started it is because I was like, I didn't have any clue and I didn't know those things. Well, like, yeah, of course, if people are going to buy, you know, $3,000 vacuum cleaners, they can afford $1,500 family session. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. I was just like, I can totally make money. I'm making yeah. like $500 every time I sell one of these things. Yeah. So I think it just kind of started like that. But literally my first camera, I got to tell you this story. It's hilarious. My very first camera, my distributor who I sold cleaning systems for bought. I was trying to earn enough points. We had a Christmas auction every year. I was trying to earn enough points through my sales to be able to bid on it because I actually told the main distributor, like the central distributor, when he was at our office, he was like, we know what's some gifts you guys would like to have at the Christmas donation or the Christmas auction. I was like, you know what you should get? You should get this Rebel T5i or whatever with this camera, you know, these two lenses. It'd be awesome. And there's so many people that love photos and blah, blah, blah. I was like, the whole time, I'm like gaming it in my head. Like I can totally earn enough gift points and like I'll buy that at the auction and then I'll start my business. Well, I was nowhere near enough points. So I convinced my distributor to buy it as like, because he had a billion points. So he bought it as a prize because he was like, oh, I'm going to get so much incentive out of these people to like put this up as a prize. And he made it a prize for the next month. He was like, look, if you do 30 presentations, then I will give this to you if you do 30 presentations. And I was like, done. So <laughs> 30 presentations means I had to schedule about 45 of them. But that's like 30. It's like every single day I was doing multiple yeah. presentations to try. Well, it wasn't dependent on anything other than just doing 30 qualified presentations. So I did them. The crazy thing is like I made like $5,500 that month because I sold a crap ton of them. And then he gave me the camera. And then the next month I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, uh, you know, he was probably thinking, this is awesome. I'm going to, you know, this is a great incentive for Chad. And then, and then yeah. of course, you get the camera and you quit. Right, right. There are a few things that I want to talk about, though, that you brought up that I think are really interesting. So this kind of brings us out of, you know, outline that, that I had sent over to you. So I hope that's okay. Totally fine. But one of the things that I want to, to mention that you brought up is just sales in general. Mm -hmm. I, I have sort of this... I, you know, I think it's it's probably not a popular idea. I mean, obviously, I think the common advice you hear is that like you don't want to come off as like no one wants to be sold to. Oh, not true. Oh. But I actually don't think that's yeah, I don't think that's the case. Oh. And I think you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to we bought a car recently, so my car died, and uh, we ended up getting rid of Chris's car and going down to one since you know we both work together and we spend 99% of our time together. Yeah. So we were going and we were purchasing a new car, and we had we dealt with two different salespeople, and mm -hmm. one was I think a, a, a super talented salesperson, and the other just not so much. Yeah. And one thing that I, I noticed was that my experience was better working with the better salesperson because I think that they, you know, sold me on the car, right? They made me feel really confident in terms of, you know, what I was looking for, like defining for me exactly what I, what I was looking for. Cause I don't know anything about cars, Absolutely. you know, like I, I get in a car, if it works, if it runs, if it gets me from point A to B to me, I'm like, okay, it does what it needs to do. Sure. But you know, a good salesperson I think can put in my language exactly and help me define for myself. Oh, this is actually what I'm looking for. 
Yeah. And here's why this option meets my needs. And so I really think typically, at least in our community, that we discount sales. You know, maybe we talk a lot about marketing. You know, we talk a lot about how to complete our service, but we don't talk, I think, enough about sales. And I think it does so much to really shape an experience. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I will say this does not vary at all from the outline that we sent over. It's actually just a different, it is a different clarification of the outline you sent over because awesome. I literally think everything we do is sales. And a big part of our coaching program is all about not how to sell as much as like what it is. And this is what I, I would say is the number one problem in the, in the photography industry. People can't sell because they are not extremely clear on what it is they even offer and how that benefits their client. And then if they are clear on that, they're not clear on how to extract money out of that. How do you get cash for that? It's a very simple process on both sides that kind of leads to the same. What you just said is what is it that he did for you? Did he convince you? Did he persuade you? Did he like force you to buy something he wanted you to buy? Or did he say like, I think this is an easy thing for people to think about. Like you go to a restaurant and you love the server because they took such great care of you they probably upsold you on things you were not expecting to get. But what it did was made your experience better. You loved the dinner. You got a great, well, how did they do that? Probably by finding out what it was you liked. If they're good, when you say what's good here, their first question back is, well, what kind of things do you like? Do you do prefer like seafood or do you like steak? That's an excellent salesperson because the definition that we use in our coaching program is sales is not convincing someone to buy something. It's persuading someone something that you're fully convinced of, but for their reasons. I think that's so insightful. And again, I think it's something that is just not talked about enough within our, uh, within our industry in particular. Because everybody's afraid of it. Everybody's afraid of being that guy. No one wants to be the guy who's like selling people stuff. Well, while we were photographers, one of the questions that I thought was the most valuable question or one of the most valuable questions that we, we would ask in preparing for a consult or during a consult was simply like, hey, what photographs are most important to you on your wedding day? Putting that in, in their court and then using that as a launching point for the conversation and really getting them because I think so it, it provides a lot of information for us to then shape kind of how we talk about our experience. But in addition to that, it helps them start to define what's actually important to them as well. Because I think people just don't know. Well, and I was going to say, and being a really good professional is understanding not only that you need to ask that question, but what's a really great way to kind of lead people into that direction? Because most people, if you just ask that blunt of a question, they don't know. Like, I don't know. Or they're going to give you like what I hear a lot is like, we just get really generic answers. So this is the question we want to ask people, right? What are the most important photos to you on your wedding day? Because that to me means I'm going to be able to provide them with something that's very personal to them. Well, if you say, what are the most important photos to you on your wedding day? The majority of people will tell you when the groom sees me the first time or the bride sees me for the first time or, or when my dad sees me walking down the aisle. Well, what you're doing in asking them that is you're putting the responsibility of even knowing how to answer that question into their court, which means that they're going to have to have been processing this already and thinking in a deep level that you want them to connect with. And I would say most people are not there simply because they're busy. They're distracted. Sure. They're not thinking about these things on a regular basis, right? So what we did in the, in the industry was we said this term ideal client and everybody jumped on it. And what ideal client literally means to me is 
someone who is already where you need them to be. What do you think people commonly kind of mistake an ideal client as? Well, that's what I'm saying is like if you define your ideal client as like Becky, who's 36, who like loves sports cars and they they vacation in the Hamptons. What you're basically trying to say is that when I market in a certain way, Becky will agree. Yeah. So she's already where I need her to be. Sure. Right. Sure. So what you're basically doing is cherry picking all the like clients who are already agree. And that's kind of the way I define sales is like when you get to a point where you say, this is what you want and this is how much it costs and they give you the money. That's what it is. It's an agreement that what you're asking and what I think it's worth are enough of the same that I'll trade you my money for it. Yeah. When most people are defining their ideal client, they're saying, I am looking for people I don't have to persuade. I don't have to, that basically they're, we already agree. I just need to show them something they want and have them pay for it, which limits who you're looking for to a very small percentage of the market. What I would say is there are a small percentage of people who are already your ideal client. There is a, I would say a vast majority of people who would be your ideal client if you knew how to lead them somewhere. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I definitely agree with that, that latter point there where I, I do think it's a responsibility of the business sure. to move people there, you know, well, not against so their will. It's not a, not a coercion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that sales, I, you know, I'm excited to revisit the sales thing. I don't want to skip over kind of how you got into business coaching. So I want to, I want to revisit that. I did uh, jot down one other question that I wanted to bring up based on what you said, which was when you got started, one thing that I've realized, especially over the, over the last year is that you don't need as much as you think in order to get started with something. Absolutely. So for you, you basically made this decision that you were going to get started. You had business cards, but you didn't even have a camera yet. And I think a lot of people wait to get started until they feel like, oh, I've got everything in place. Okay. So I got the website, I got my social media, I got my camera, I've got this suite of lenses that I need that, or that I perceive that I need in order to fulfill my service, Yeah. you know, so that people look at me and and they see me as legit. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like people... Do you see people typically uh, wait too long to get started? And and do you feel like it's a reason that people never get started? There's a phrase that I say all the time is done is better than perfect, which I know I didn't originate, but it's something I've really latched onto. And I think the majority of people have an exceptionally high expectation of what it takes to get success. And I would say that the reason they don't have success now is simply because they're not taking action on what they do have. So part of that comes with the idea of like what success looks like and what they expect from it. I think when you say things like professional photographer, people think like, oh, I need to have a certain level of skill. And I'll hear it in this way all the time. I don't have the portfolio yet to be able to charge X amount of dollars, whatever that is in their mind. That's a lot. A lot of people for weddings, it's like, I don't have the portfolio that justifies twenty-five dollars or $3,500 weddings yet. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to get better at it so that I can. And I know that the reason that they don't charge that is literally they don't understand how to get that money out of what they charge currently or what they do currently. They don't know how to extract that value, which is like I was talking about before. It has nothing to do with what kind of pictures they take. It's that they are using that as the justification to charge more money simply because in a lot of ways our market or our our industry has said these are the things that allow you or justify you spending more money on things is if you hire a professional they've got all these costs so you'll see a lot of like blogs about like you know why we charge what we charge or or what you're getting for your money is basically comes very clearly back to this sales conversation what are they trading you their money for well we have convinced a large amount of people for a long time that they're trading you money for digital proofs. These are expensive. 
Before digital proofs existed, no one thought they costed anything. But then wedding photography started saying like, well, everybody wants digital now. So we're going to tell them digitals are $1,500. Well, and then the market started thinking like, that's what they're trading you their money for. Well, then the, the market kind of lost in that equation because they became easier to get. They became easier mm -hmm. to get. And now not only are they super easy to get, people with very little skill can get them. So now this thing that we put all our stock in doesn't cost as much. And now people, since they've built a business around or an ideal of how they get money around something that is variable like that, now they can't charge for it and they've got to come up with some other reason. Or they're still saying like, oh, now, well, not only do you do get your digital images, but I take better photographs. And then like now anybody can take better photographs, you know? So it's like, it really got crazy for me to, to look at those things and start building into my business. Like, what is it that people are willing to trade their money for? Why are we selling something or why are we putting our stock in? And what I mean by saying putting our stock in, why are we trying to convince people that this is worth a lot of money and this is what they should be paying for? That's why they don't take action now is because they don't have, so the phrase I use all the time, and I know this is kind of wandering, but <laughs> to bring it back in. No, no. One of the phrases is, I use all the time is permission plus pathway equals action. Why do people not take action is one of those two reasons. They don't have permission, meaning they have convinced themselves either they're not qualified or they don't have the right or they're not skilled enough or whatever, or they don't know how to do it, right? They think I should be charging more. I've been doing this for a long time, but they don't have like a pathway to do that, meaning like here's what you do next and here's how you do this and this is what you base this on so that people trade you more money. That's why they don't take action. That's what limits the action part of that. So, so many people suffer now because they either don't give themselves permission or they don't know how to do that, like a system to do that. And so they just don't do it. And then you have the people who are like me in that situation where I was just blissfully ignorant. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know you couldn't charge people $500 for a canvas. So I loved canvases. And so I charged people $500 for canvases. And I thought I had a reason why they were important. And they agreed with me. And so they paid me. So even though the canvas probably costs maybe a hundred, well less than a hundred dollars, yeah, maybe a yeah. hundred dollars at that point, maybe, but that's, it's kind of that same thing as I hear this, these conversations all the time with coaching students or like people we do strategy sessions with is like, I could never charge someone a thousand dollars for an hour because it's so, it doesn't, it's so easy for me. And I'm like, but it's not easy for them or they would do it. Right. So, yeah. or I could never charge someone a hundred dollars for a print because it costs me like 80 cents. And I'm like, but that's not what they're paying for. But if it's what you make it, what they pay for is they're paying you because the print's expensive. What are you going to do when the print isn't expensive? You know, yeah. if we charge people because they're hard to get digital photos that are really well done because you have to be really technical, what are you going to charge people for when it's not difficult? Because it won't be difficult forever right? People love to solve problems. It's funny because I don't see a lot of these same issues in other industries. And maybe it's because I'm not as familiar with other industries or, or something like that. But a new restaurant opening, let's say, you know, no one would walk in there and be like, hey, you haven't been open that long. So you can't be charging these amounts. The same thing goes like, yeah, you could 
tell everybody at your wedding to get out their cameras and then send you the pictures at the end of the day. Sure. But, you know, first of all, that'd be a nightmare. Quality across the, the, I mean, there's just so many reasons why that would be absurd, right? I think going back to your point that people just aren't going to do it and they don't want to do it. You know, I'm working with, we have a videographer that does some work for us. He's awesome, super talented. And he's always offering to teach me like, Hey man, this is super easy. Like I, I can just show you how to do this. Yeah. And I, and it's not that I don't think that I can learn. I'm just like, sure. you know, I, I don't want to do this. You know, like I have other things that I want, I really want to spend my time on. And this is not one of them. And I'm more than happy to pay you to do this for me. Because you understand a concept that few people do is that everything costs something. Like there is no yeah. such thing as cheap or free. It just means that you're managing some other part of it, right? So it costs oh. you money to do it. Even if it is easy, I don't think that it's because of the skill level that it takes to be able to master you know, a, a camera that we should be paid more. But the fact that I do it for you people charge to deliver groceries. It's not because you don't know how and it's too difficult. It's because it removes a necessity for you to go get groceries and that's worth money. That's worth you trading money. Absolutely. It's at least worth value. You know, right. like the time that you save from not going to get get groceries, it's either, you know, time that you get to devote to kids sure. or to family, or to not you know, time that groceries. you get to pour back in your, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Or just not doing or just groceries. Not doing groceries. I would happily pay you $10 to go get my groceries so that I could watch my show that I like, like honest to God. Yeah, for sure. But that's what I'm saying. That's a mindset that you, you have acquired and practiced over and over and over. So it's very easy to translate to other parts of your life. And that is not something that most people, so there's a mindset book that I read 177 mental toughness, toughness secrets of the world class. And it's like, they're just short little snippets about life. But one of the things he talks about is not necessarily classifying people as in like what they're worth, but more so like how they think about the world. He, one of the ones he talked about was that you can give a million dollar idea to people who are middle-class mindset and they'll make that million dollar idea a middle-class idea because it's like, it goes outside of the bounds of who they are to become something different, right? It's like, it's uncomfortable. And so they'll make it, they'll like pull it down. Well, you can give a million dollar idea to someone who is middle class, but has a world class mindset that like thinks about possibility and you'll hear their success story of like, oh, he came from nothing. Well, it isn't about opportunity. It's about the way he thinks. And he thinks that things are possible that you don't think. And that's literally the difference is not skills. It's not you don't need skills. You don't need equipment. What you need is to understand something different about the way you think. And that's kind of where some of that discipline training or mindset training is like, it's unbelievable to me how many ways we practice failure or practice mediocrity in our lives and then go into a business and expect ourselves to be like absolute rock stars, but then are depressed when we're not like the LeBron James of the photography industry. I'm like, but the thing that you don't understand about LeBron James is LeBron James is not supernaturally gifted. We accredit or we attribute some supernatural gifting to him because then it takes away from us the responsibility of having to put the work in to become that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I think one of the big keys sort of insights there is, you know, that circumstances rarely change disposition, you know, like For sure. somebody can win the lottery, but if they're crappy with money, they're going to blow all that money. So I just right. don't think, and that's something that I feel like I've been learning over the last few years or so that just circumstances don't change disposition. You know, if you want real change that you need, you need to change your disposition, um, whether it's towards business. And I think just in general, we discount some of the mental stuff because maybe it doesn't seem as practical. The hardest part is to, to look at someone's life and say, I started a photography business and I didn't own a camera. And then for you to see that 
you have one of two options to choose is like either, well, there's nothing special about him. What am I waiting for? Or what a lot of people do is they blame or complain or defend. They blame their position of like, well, he could do that because XXX, you know, like it must be nice. I hear see people say this like, well, hit her husband earns like a full time living. So, of course, she can like build a brand, you know, like, well, yeah, because it's so much easier when you have income. No, it's like she was hungry for it or he was hungry for it. And that's what motivated him. And it's like I find myself running into people all the time saying like in some way or another, like I'm not special. I'm not unique like those people are. And that's why I can't do that. Sure. You know. And it's really no one's special. The big spoiler alert is that the difference is them doing it. And that's it. That's it is them putting the effort in and putting what we call putting the reps in. They're just putting in the reps. You're not losing weight. It is harder for me to lose weight than it is some people. Does that mean I can't lose weight? Or does that mean I have to work in different and harder ways to lose weight? Sure. Well, is that fair? Well, I don't know. Whatever you want to say, like fair or unfair, it's what it is. And so if I want to lose weight, then I have to put in the effort that it takes for me to lose weight. Yeah. Does anybody else give a shit about that? No one. No one cares. You know why? Because they're worried about their own thing. And if I want to put the effort in, then I have the success. But you know what's really funny is when I have the success, everybody in some way says, it would be nice if I could do that. It must be nice, you know, like, oh, it must be nice to be able to lose 60 pounds. Like, no, it's actually been incredibly difficult yeah, and, and mind numbingly painful in certain ways on an everyday level. <laughs> I mean, I think that's helpful though. Just acknowledging the reality of situations like that and realizing that, you know, sort of playing the victim there or, you know, blaming circumstances isn't going to actually change that reality. And I think the flip side though is true sure. as well. One of my friends, Buddy Powers, he's also been on the podcast you know, he says that everybody has a leg up somewhere, you know? So I think sure. it's true that, you know, for some people, maybe it's, maybe it is harder to lose weight, but I think everybody in some area has some sort of leg up, you know, for you, for instance, yeah. you had sort of this built in, not built in, but certainly you were around sales enough. I think from sure. being young through just, you know, college and right out of college experiences that that probably really helped you in business, but there were probably some, uh, some other yeah. areas that were more challenging that you had to work at. And so I think it's, that's a really interesting insight and super helpful. I think for people to just kind of look at the reality of the situation. I do want to ask in general, and I know, so, you know, not to, um, to cut the story part short either, because we got no sidetracked words. with, I think some really good questions. And I def definitely think they, they all tie into kind of our overall subject here. Yeah. What do you feel like is the most, or the kind of the biggest reason that you see people get stuck in business? And so there's, and when I say stuck, I mean, maybe it's somebody who's just starting a business and they're just not, be, not able to get traction, or maybe they're running what appears to be a successful business or what is a successful business, but just feel sort of plateaued. Yeah. Well, to kind of attach something else to that, that I think is important. The reason we started doing coaching at all was because I realized so many people were getting throttled out. Like people with incredible skill. And I'd see this happen over and over and over again. People just were incredibly talented, beautiful hearts, and they would get throttled out of business because they couldn't make any money. Or they got like mega quick, fast, famous. And then they were like, they got there and they were like, now what? And they got throttled out. You know what I mean? It's like they ended up stopping in some way the acceleration because they thought what they wanted was to earn a bunch of money. Well, then they earned a bunch of money. And then they were like, well, 
this isn't really fulfilling like I wanted it to be or like I thought it would be or now I'm here and like I don't really like nobody really wants to hear from me anymore. So now what do I do? You know, so I think the biggest thing that keeps people stuck is environment. The number one thing that is going to keep them stuck and keep them in that stuckness is environment. And what do you mean by environment? In our coaching environment, we break it into three places is like techniques and tricks or like tips. So basically like strategy. How do you do the things you're supposed to do? The second part is accountability is who's making sure that you're doing those things and who do you kind of have to answer to? And the third part is community. And so I don't think people consider why businesses work in a corporate setting and why business has been done that way for so long and why things like working from home tend to be really depressing and negative and downturn in your production is because of those three, those three factors. Those three factors play into the environment that you are around. If And you may notice this in other areas of your life that are easier to translate. It's like, do you ever find yourself like hanging out with people who are into sports? And then all of a sudden you're like, you're checking out sports scores on the weekend or you're like, you catch yourself watching a game and then you're like, oh, I really kind of like, I enjoy this. Like I'm digging this competition and I'm, I love cheering for these people and having a team and yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's a reason that addicts hang around with other addicts. There's a reason that sports fans hang around with other sports fans. There's a reason that people who go to church love to hang out with their friends who go to church. It's cause like you having a group of people that do the same things that you do it encourages you to believe that that thing is important, but it also kind of like justifies you doing it. And then you find yourself doing all kinds of other things. It's like it justifies it. Then you want to be part of it. So there's two questions. You you asked a question or you said something at United that I thought stuck so strongly in my brain was one of the questions your clients are trying to answer from looking at your website is, can you do this for someone like me? Yeah. Right. They're trying to translate what's happening into their own experience. And I think the very same thing happens in environment is initially when you're looking at an environment, you're trying to say, are these people like me? Basically, like, would I fit in there? Right. But then something else happens along the way that says, am I like these people is do I like identify with these people? Right. So we call that the initial phase would be like the cause is like how you draw people to you would be like, what's your cause? Like, what are you there for? And that's how they answer that question. Am I like these people? And then belonging would be the other part is, are these people like me? And then belonging answers the question, am I like these people? Is like, do I, your family, you know, that environment is so key and so massively discounted on a continual basis. If people will be honest with themselves, Things like WPPI, conferences like United, things like masterminds, there's a reason that there is such a strong draw to those things. It's because it is an addictive environment to be around people who are succeeding. And if they're not succeeding, that are encouraging. And if they're encouraging and they're helping you and they want the best for you, it's, I mean, it's why, it's why you grow. Yeah. So something that comes to mind, that's not this industry, but CrossFit in general, you know, I think CrossFit kind of checks the box uh, of all three of these things in a, Are we gonna talk about in veganism a huge next? way. <laughs> no, I, I have nothing really to say about veganism. Yeah. <laughs> I, if, if we're talking about veganism, you'd have to lead that charge because I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, every, every yeah. meal I have some sort of meat protein. So, <laughs> but just, I mean, CrossFit in general, right? I mean, like from techniques to accountability to community, they're not doing anything crazy new. A lot of those exercises have been uh, around forever, but you 
you go and all of a sudden the power of loose ties, you know, with the people who are around you and a coach that's, you know, there to make sure that you're pushing yourself. I mean, I feel like a great example of how an environment can really take something like working out when done at more of like a typical traditional gym where you're alone, you know, you're responsible for you know, doing the lifts on your own, figuring out what they, what that, mm-hmm. that technique looks like. Pushing yourself. Pushing yourself. Yeah. And you, you see other people there. Maybe you know people, maybe you don't, but oftentimes it's just you going alone. I mean, it's a whole different yep. uh, ball game. That's a good, I guess, a segue into asking, I mean, what should people expect out of a coaching or mentoring relationship and why is that valuable? One of the things that I have learned in taking on a coach or having being coached is that those aspects and I wasn't even taught those aspects. I just kind of, I'm constantly in this phase of like analyzing and I did the same thing. Like why did CrossFit joining CrossFit gym for me do something that I had been trying to do on my own for a decade plus? Why all of a sudden did it work? And why did it not just like work? Why was I excelling? It hyper speeded or uh, hyper sped, whatever <laughs> hyper speed. It sounds cool. <laughs> it's seriously like it hijacked all the things I had been trying to do and put them into a system and a formula that worked. And so one of the things that I think that people can expect from a coaching environment is that if they're in a healthy coaching environment is there will be a strong responsibility on you to do the work mm-hmm. and to draw it back into the CrossFit environment is they provide the structure, they provide the mindset training, they provide the technique, they can't make you come to the gym. Mm. There should be a healthy responsibility for you to show up and do the work. The thing that you should process that through is kind of that accountability, community, and techniques is are the techniques that you're getting proven? Are these things that these people have done and they can show you results from? Are the people who are participating in their program getting results? So they should, that's something they should expect too, is they should expect if they show up, if they put in the work, they will get results. Now, just like everything else, results are not typical. And honestly, the weirdest thing is results are 130% reliable on your mindset, not Mm. your skills. I've seen people who have less skill, who have been in business less time, come in and triple their sales, where people who have much more skill, much more brand identity, blah, 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 on top of them, not like struggle to make the money that they're making because simply because they believe it's possible and they're willing to go try it, you know? Yeah. So I honestly, I think people who are not as advanced in their business sometimes make better coaching clients because they don't have to unlearn a bunch of bad mistakes or a bunch of bad technique or even a bunch of or mindset just have stuff it. that they've yeah. yeah that they've convinced themselves is true. They don't have blissful ignorance. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that's one of the things I think they should expect from a coaching from a coaching environment or being involved in coaching is they should expect results if they show up and do their work. They should also expect that there's a healthy responsibility on themselves and that there is cost to it. And I'm not just saying like it's not just financial cost, that there's a cost time-wise that they need to commit to it. Because here's the basis of it. If what you were doing already worked, you wouldn't need a coach, right? You wouldn't need help. But the thing that people, I think, assume coaching is for or the place that they put it is to like, it's to get to the next thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I need to go to a workshop to learn how to do lighting so that I can be better. So I can charge more. Well, if you look at anybody who's any, who's any good at anything, you'll probably find that they've surrounded themselves with and they spend a lot of money and time on people who continually refresh the basics for them and keep them accountable and give them ways to practice. 
And so that's like you look at someone like LeBron James is he's a great example because he's very public. He spends over a million dollars a year on things like massages and muscle work and ice baths and retreats. Like, why does that for someone who makes two hundred and fifty million dollars a year, he spends a million dollars doing what basic, I mean, very simple, not crazy advanced. It's not like he's not just getting stem cell treatment, something you could never have <laughs> access to. It's like these are normal people things done at an exceptional level, right? He shoots free throws. You know what people in high school or seventh grade that are learning how to play basketball do? They shoot free throws from the same line with the same ball into the same net. Yeah. Fundamentals practiced at an exceptional level. You know what I mean? He doesn't shoot two free throws or 10 free throws. He shoots a thousand. Such an important part of understanding like a coaching situation. Because I think people sometimes come into a coaching situation expecting some sort of hidden knowledge or silver bullet, you know, like, hey, your coach is going to tell you something. Nobody else knows this. But once you know it, your business is going to rocket to the next level. And I just don't think that's a healthy expectation or just really ever the case. Now, I think coaches can provide insight that uh, lead to breakthrough. Sure. I think they can they can challenge you in ways that lead to breakthrough, uh, especially if they're not a part of your business. I think just having somebody who's, you know, outside of your business that can say, "Hey, why are you doing things this way?" You know, I mean, it's like, so a mentor of mine, he compared, you know, coaching to being a court jester. So looking at the Knights of the Round Table, you know, he said the most important person at the Knights of the Round Table was the court jester yeah. who could poke fun at just like crazy things that, that people were, were saying or doing. So an example of that would be like the Emperor's New Clothes. You know, everybody's walking around naked because they think they mm-hmm. have these these fancy new clothes. And, and who is it? It's a kid that says, hey, you're naked. And even over the course of the uh, last year. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. In hiring my coaches, what I realized is I could sidestep the problems that I had been experiencing for a decade plus. If I was willing to invest, you know, five or 10 grand, I could basically buy my way out of having to make those same mistakes over and over again. And on top of that, they had gotten past that and they'd been past it for long enough that what they did at that time is routine. And so they could help me not have to struggle. So yeah. it was a basically like a fast pass is like, I'm going to skip the line. When I started, if I knew what I know now, we're talking in the millions of dollars of financial income that I would have had. But I was convinced that like, I was going to save myself money by not hiring someone or I was going to like, I was tough and I was smart. I was going to figure it out on my own because that seems to be like romantic of a notion to like bootstrap your way into business. But what we don't realize is like, there's a way to not have to do that. And it's the same reason that Place, you know, people like Tesla don't save their money and do everything with cash. They borrow their investors' money at zero percent, and they build things being paid to build them because it's a better way to do business to kind of get an advance on the the ideas that they have. It's the same thing with coaching. Is like if you have an opportunity to spend five thousand dollars, which seems like a lot of money, but you're going to skip five years of struggling at you know, $60,000 a year, it's an investment that pays you back for decades to come, you know? Sure. It's like never buying a house and just con- and continuing to rent because like you're saving money. Well, because you don't have to fix the furnace, right? Sure. Yeah. It's a brilliant financial strategy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think one of the things to me for that was uh, super valuable in finding a coach, you know, and having been in coaching relationships before as well, committing to a year, 
with my coach, like committing to a, a, a specified period of time, yeah. knowing that if I just did like a month, you know, I, I, there's not enough accountability there. Sure. And I could, you know, make excuses for a month and then never get out of it. But, you know, you can't really do that for more than a month with, if you're in a, I think, consistent uh, relationship with a coach, you know, because yeah. one and two, I think it's just uh, the, the amount of money that you're spending. Mm-hmm. I think when you make an investment for a good coach, you know, you're going to want to get as much out of that as possible because it, it's an investment, right? Yeah. You're putting in, in some cases to be parts of uh, different masterminds or, or to, to hire a coach, you're putting thousands of dollars down. Yeah. I don't think it's because my coach shared with me some piece of knowledge that all of a sudden like, oh, wow, now that I know that now I'm going to make a ton of money or, or whatever. Yeah. It was simply just you know, like all the things that you, you talked about, not only given some strategy and techniques, but then also the accountability to actually implement yeah. those things. And somebody that I could go to and be like, hey, is this a good idea? Is this silly? Or, you know, occasionally, and this is something I feel like I do all the time. I come up with, I come up with ideas that are really excuses, just yeah. disguised as ideas. And for somebody to say, hey, listen, yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea, but it's a distraction right now. Have you done X, Y, Z that we've already talked about? Okay, no. Well, go back and, you know, I really, you know, I challenge you to focus, focus on those things. Those are the types of things that are super valuable when it comes to, or when it's come to, for my experience with coaching, yeah. but even smaller things. Like I hired somebody to help me with my United keynote uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, Mike Pacquion, he'll actually be on the podcast, but you know, it wasn't because, I mean, I was a teacher. I've spoken at a bunch of different events. Sure. I think it's something that, you know, for sure I could have prepared on my own, but it was yeah. so helpful having somebody to kick around ideas with, to tell me when something just wasn't landing, you know, how I thought maybe it would. And I think that that was one of my best presentations ever. And it's opened yeah. up the door to all sorts of opportunities, right. but it was an investment. But I think that investment has paid off. Well, so the reason I was going to say, the reason you were able to make an investment though, is because you could see value in it. And so that's what should people expect from being in a coaching environment is clarity is probably the number one thing that they should expect from being in a coaching environment is clarity. Mm. They should be able to have clarity on why they're doing what they're doing. That's something that I feel very strongly that what a good coach does is not tell you what to do. That's called a workshop or that's called an instructional, you know? Like think about it like a parent, like a parent doesn't just teach their children what to do all the time. They give them reasons why those things matter and they help them just like the sales conversation. They help determine for them, not this is why I think you should do this, but okay. So we've talked about the techniques of cleaning your room. We've talked about the techniques of doing dishes and we've made you accountable for it for a long time. What are some of the benefits that you have seen to having clean dishes? is there's a mental aspect to it for me that like when I come home and the counter's cleared off, I feel like everything's at peace and I can be at peace. It's a peacemaking thing for my home to have, and not even if they're cleaned in the dishwasher, but if they're stacked, Mm -hmm. like it is a mental peace for me. So there's a benefit to doing the dishes that when I go to push myself to do dishes, I don't want to do the dishes, but what I really want is I want peace in my home. And so that's a different conversation. And that's an easy, like I was saying, it gives me clarity for me to know why when I come home, I want to spend my time after work washing pots and pans. Yeah. Why does that matter to me? I have clarity on why it is and being involved in coaching environments and being involved with coaches. That's one of the reasons that that conversation in my head has become a peace giving thing and a blessing to me to do for my family and not something that what it used to be was a place of friction and annoyance. Yeah. Why did that change? It Nothing changed. I still come home and there's dirty dishes. 
why did that thing change is because I have clarity now in where I didn't have clarity before. Sure. And one of the conversations that changes very drastically is the one that we were mentioning before is I need more to do more, you know, is like, mm -hmm. well, if you had clarity on what it is you actually have, you would have permission and a pathway to do what it is you want to do. The reason you don't is because you have you don't have clarity. And because you don't have clarity, you invest in all kinds of things like new lighting techniques and new courses on Creative Live that you never watched and new <laughs> new email scripts that are you're going to send out that are going to make things awesome that you downloaded and then forgot where you put them and you know what I mean it's like and the reason you're doing all those things is not because they're not good things. It's not because you don't want to do good things for your business. It's because you don't have any clarity. Yeah. So that would, I would say environment is what keeps people stuck. The number one thing they could, should expect to get with a coaching program is clarity. And that's like you said, the weight, I think people think, you know, the first thing they think about is how much it costs, but like the, the cost is a weight. And it's a commitment and it's a commitment to yourself, number one, but it's a commitment to being involved in something that you are committed, committing to. Like if your gym made you sign up for a year and in order for you to not have to pay $300 more, you had to check in at least three times every month. I'll promise you, you'll be there three times a month. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing is if it costs you a lot financially and there's some commitment level to it, you're probably going to show up and do it. Well, Chad, I've really enjoyed this conversation and we've already hit the hour mark. So I'm probably going to have to have you come on uh, another episode because there's, there's stuff that we, that we haven't, that I have listed out here that we haven't had a chance to talk about and would really be interested to get your opinion on some of these things. But as we, as we wrap up here, I think again, just even that insight right here at the end about people thinking they need more to get more, yeah. you know, and, yeah. I, and I think people with some clarity would just be astounded at how much they have available to them right now, uh, yeah. you know, without a camera, you know, so to speak. Yeah. They tend to overestimate their weaknesses and underestimate their strengths. They forget people are really easy at forgetting how much they used to do with such little opportunity mm. or skill that it's like, we've some reason, like they lose that ignorance, you know, they lose the blissful ignorance of like, then they start realizing like the severity of the situation or like the seriousness of it. And they stop taking the risks because they don't have clarity on why they're doing it. And it's, it's just really interesting. Cause it's like, man, if you would just remember how you used to like MacGyver stuff together to be able to do anything. And yeah. now you like can't take these photos because you don't have a $700 softbox. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. you're so much better than that. And that's the reason you don't have it. <laughs> I mean, I think just even in that, that last couple of minutes, if someone just walks away, you know, with that as a wake up call, I, I think that insight alone can be a course correcting for people. And I think it was for me as well within the history of my business, even thinking, getting myself, you know, or believing that lie that I need more to get more. Yeah. But then that realization that, hey, I have a lot more than I think I do. And if I just, you know, to a certain extent, steward it well and, and have that clarity and understand, yeah, you know, all of that, you can get to kind of the next level, you know, not without some hard work, but certainly um, more easily. But where can people learn more about you and uh, your coaching program? Chad is my personal site. If they want to go to Chad slash 
free photo business training and those each there's a hyphen in between each, each of those words that's our kind of our business funnel with like just being able to have some free education stuff they're welcome i tell people all the time like they don't believe me like they really are they're welcome to like dm me and i will very happily tell them if this is not the place to answer that question here's where you go but, you know, with uh, Instagram at de Blasio Photo or email at chat at de Photo.com, I'm always happy to connect people. And that's something that's like, don't feel like you're uh, inconveniencing me if you reach out to me in the wrong way, because I'm, I'm happy to just redirect you. So if it's yeah. not the way that I wanted to be connected, I'll just put you where it needs to be. Yeah, for sure. And we'll make sure that we link to all those places in the show note. We'll, we'll make sure we uh, include your phone number so that people can text you at 1030 at night. But Chad, thank you for joining me on the podcast. We'll have to have you on another episode soon. Dude, I appreciate you having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to DavianKrista.com.